Oh bang, welcome back. It is episode six. I can't believe it's already episode six. I feel like we just started this. Uh, those of you who've been with us for all six episodes, thank you for supporting the show. It is Wednesday, middle of the week, and uh, it feels appropriate today to start off by addressing what's happening in the world. In fact, um, today's conversation was specifically chosen to air this week because of what's happening in the world. Um, and so it just doesn't feel right to go right into a conversation about basketball or talk about, you know, sports even right now. This seems to be the time to talk about some things that really, truly, truly matter. So what I want to say to you guys is that um, I as a black man in America, I appreciate everyone, black people, white people. Um, young people, old people, rich people, poor people, educated people, uneducated people. It doesn't, everyone is coming together for a human cause. Equality and justice and kindness and patience and peace. These are not, these are not causes that have colors attached to them. They're not causes that have political agendas attached to them. These are human causes. And when we are coming together to peacefully protest and as a people, as a mankind, demand that we do better and move closer to justice and equality and kindness and love. That is an awesome thing. On, on its surface, I don't think anyone, at least no one that I uh, would like to call friend or would like to call a supporter of the show. I don't think any of you guys would disagree with that statement. There is some disagreement that comes into play with the total package of how this uh, movement is looking. And I certainly have my opinions on that, but this is not a show that um, that I want to go into that too much other than just to say, I just appreciate so much the positivity that is happening out there, the peaceful uh, protests that are happening, the blacking out of your social medias. You know, uh, so many of the kids that I work with, I, I just saw their pages today and it was and it was just a solidarity across the board over my social media. And I just I don't know, it just made me feel uh, empowered and um, and together. And so uh, I just say I, I, I encourage us all to remain vigilant in spite of some of the negativity that's going on and just, you know, stay the course, because uh, I think that it's important that this becomes a a movement, not a moment. Right. If this is just one week, a moment in time that goes by the wayside, wayside next week. I don't know how impactful it could ultimately be, but if we can turn this into a movement, something that invokes actual change, actual uh, uh, change in legislation, change in the way we treat each other, then I, I think this is something that we're going to look back on uh, and and be very, very proud of what we've done as a people. Um, so, um, so those those are my thoughts on that. Now, now moving on to, to today's conversation, I thought, what better way to sort of exemplify uh, some of the messages that are being stood up for every day than to bring on a very positive young black man to talk with me about achieving his dream and about navigating this great country of ours to be, to do the thing that he wants to do at a very very high level. Um, Brandon Williams is in the world of of fashion uh specifically though working with uh nba players nfl players um 
you know, professional athletes and trying to help them with their image and, and getting their, their look right. And, and he's taken that career and just absolutely blown it up and done some amazing things that he's going to talk to you guys about. But this is not a, a surface level conversation. All right. This is a this is a pretty deep conversation where we get to the heart of success and the heart of of uh, trial and error and success and failure. And, you know, Brandon happens to be my cousin. So we're family. So we're really close. And so it was easy to ask him some questions and it was easy for him to open up and be honest with me. So I really look it's not a it's not a short lesson. It's a long conversation. You guys might want to take this one down in sections, you know, do 30 minutes today, do 30 minutes tomorrow, whatever you got to do. But uh, I do think that you should, you know, give this a full listen and and see what pieces are for you. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to apologize for something was with the feedback in my mic during the conversation. So when I'm asking questions, you're going to hear some feedback. I apologize for that. But I thought the conversation was so good. I didn't want to not bring it to you because of some technical difficulties. So, um, you know, when he's talking, it's pretty clear. So enjoy the conversation with my cousin, very successful NBA brand consultant, Brandon Williams. All right. We're going to have a fun one today. I want everyone to welcome to the show. My family, my cousin, uh, NBA stylist, brand consultant, none other than Mr. Brandon Williams. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Just happy to be here. Happy to sit down and chop it up with my guy. Go back since diapers, man. You have <laughs> known me before I was even born. Right, right. So, uh, man, I'm just glad to just, man, I'm grateful. grateful I'm a, I, I'll promise you this right now, man. We will not put any comparison stories on the air, man. I ain't going to talk about nothing that you did when you were just a little twin chasing people around the church. I ain't we're not going there. I could, but I'm not going there. Cool, perfect. So no, nah, man. So look, the whole purpose of our show, Bernie, is to to talk about the path to success, right? Obviously, basketball is my passion. That's what we talk about mainly. But more than just a particular sport, whatever arena you're in, we want people to be the best in that arena. So to have you on today is a big treat for us to be able to just talk through your journey of how you became one of the better guys to do this particular thing, right? The skill of, of getting people looking right and feeling good. You're one of the best to do it. So kind of talk us through from from the idea of, hey, this is what I want to do, to now being one of the best. Well, first off, thank you so much for the nod of uh, confidence. It's one thing to get the approval of the world, but it's a whole different thing to get the approval of your family. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we'll talk about today, you'll it'll hit a lot different because you, you know, were a part of the the journey and so you'll it'll resonate really well um with you specifically so i'm i'm really excited to actually get into it but for me man as you know dude we always you know we come from a family likes to dress you know and um you know my dad specifically you know growing up in church uh you know i remember as a young kid like my highlight of my of my church going for whatever reason was actually like Easter Sunday because <laughs> you know, like the you my mom used to take me to get my suit, you know. And I don't know for whatever reason, man, I just, you know, when you're young, things just stick with you. And I just love getting dressed up and I I developed a passion for, you know, sneakers and um obviously you grew up playing ball and 
and that was a big part of your life and, and and so did I. So all I really cared about was, you know, trying to figure out how to become an NBA player. So one, that was my whole push in my, my childhood, like just wanted to go to the NBA. But what was crazy is that as I was growing up, the other things I have, you know, my Brian, my twin, he was a little better than me at basketball. You know what I mean? I had to work way harder to uh to get the the accolades and get the playing time and and the acknowledgement you know than he did he kind of got it really honest so um for me when things didn't go right on the court one of the things that i always had in my head for whatever reason was that it's okay if i don't make it to the nba i'll be i'm gonna work for nike you know because like to me nike meant the nba you know so i and then i remembered like watching games and for whatever reason the most exciting part for me uh, beyond like jordan doing something crazy was like them showing jordan or scotty or whoever it was like getting out of their car um and their suits and this was before any of the tunnel walk was a thing i just loved you know and at that time like jordan um and pippen the bulls like they were the, kind of the only guys that really had as much publicity that they would catch you know coming into the arena or Charles Barkley or, you know, like Magic Johnson. But, like, before that, it was only, like, the main guys that got that kind of, like, tunnel shine. And I just remember, you know, then they all wore suits. So I remember watching Mike, man, with the Pat Riley collar, with the getting out of the black MJ, uh, black cat, like, Ferrari, you know, with the hoop earrings, man. I mean, so everything kind of stems from my basketball upbringing um, and my church upbringing to, like, really make me, you know, kind of concentrated in that style, um, fashion arena, like before I even knew it was a thing. So cut to, you know, later in my life, you know, when the basketball thing kind of went away for me, um, a lot of my friends, a lot of my closest friends ended up one, either playing like professional football or being in the, in the NBA, which is a crazy thing. Like if you think about it, like all my closest friends end up being professional athletes, like a couple of them won Super Bowls, and then my sister ends up marrying, you know, one of the best shooters in the NBA possibly ever, you know, arguably, you know, with the greatest shooters. And so, like, to have that kind of awareness, that that, um, that viewpoint or vantage point of, of the NBA at this point was, like, such an eye-opening experience for me. And it cultured me. And then seeing the way the guys actually dress. So as I went through school, graduated college, I was, uh, you know, for fun using my, you know, thankfully I didn't have no student debt. So all my money was going to my weekend wardrobe, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I was- Did you study this in school? No, I didn't, man. I studied studied, uh, international business and and marketing and sales. So I graduated early with two degrees, got a dope job um, with Goodyear, uh, working in their corporate division. It was a really dope job. Like- I had a company car, expense account. I mean, you know, bro, I was doing it. Then they moved me to to South Carolina, which is like a really a easy place to, you know, make a good life as far as economically speaking. And I was I was set, dude. I was like almost at six figures at the age of twenty three. So, like I said, my weekend wardrobe habits were like lit. <laughs> so that's I remember. Really, uh, yeah. So I, I started going to uh, you know, my brother in law's events, like you know, celebrating at the time. Uh, he had just got back from China, Beijing, from the Olympics, um, the Redeem team. Um, 
So, you know, I showed up to a couple of things. Oh no. You good. And like I started, you know, because I had the free time, I got to, I got to, uh, to be around a lot of these, you know, NBA players from a different perspective. You know, I'm sitting across from, you know, Ray Allen. I'm, you know, sitting next to Grant Hill. You know, it's just like crazy. Um, and for I was the record, my- everybody, he's talking about Michael Red, former shooting yeah. guard for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, all around great dude, uh, great originally dude. from Ohio. That's where Brandon is from. Is from Ohio, and yes, uh, Michael married our, our our his sister, my cousin Akia, uh, yep. who will be on the show. I'm looking forward to talking to her about what she's doing in her life. But yeah, so Michael Red is the guy you know, so you, so you know him, and you're getting to be around that, and you get yep. a feel for that NBA. Dream. That um, yeah, and so like for me, man, like seeing Mike's dress, he was so. Uh, I mean, I thought I was dope. I thought, you know, I knew style and fashion just from my own experiences, man. When I started seeing his fashion and wardrobe just took it to a whole nother level. Like, but what was ironic about it, his stylist would be like, man, you can really like, like these fits that you're pulling off, like these are, these are dope, bro. And so eventually, my, you know, Mike would come up to me like, dude. You can't come to my events outdressing me like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was like, you know, he was he was kind of joking, but also still kind of paying me a compliment. And then uh, eventually, his uh, his stylist at the time was like really talking to me seriously about you know would I ever be interested in styling? And and I didn't even really know it was a career like that. Um, so long story short, I ended up quitting that Goodyear job, breaking up with my girlfriend, moving to LA to be an intern. Um, started working a retail job. I worked actually like two jobs as I was interning. And, um, you know, I grinded it out for like two years without really getting paid to, to learn and to have opportunities. And I remember there was one opportunity specifically, like I was able to reference and I asked Mike, you know, if he had saw it or what he thought. And then he really just kind of paid me the ultimate compliment. It was like, man, I think you've been grinding. I believe in you. And um, he was in his last year with Milwaukee and he uh, was like, I really want you to, to dress me, you know, like you're my brother-in-law. Like, I know you worked hard um, and you've earned it, you know, you've earned the opportunity at least to try. So, you know, for the last two years of his NBA career, you know, I, I, I was dressing him and then, you know, Instagram happened. And then the way wore the bandaid under his eye and the glasses with no lens and you know, like guys start started actually getting a lot of press for the way they were dressing. And so people on Mike's team actually started taking notice of how he was dressed. And Instagram happened, like I said, and I got on the front end of like the whole NBA style movement. Um, and, you know, it, it's cool. I don't want to say like the hype carried me because I definitely had to, I've never had any like super, superstar clients. Like I never had a Dwayne Wade or like a LeBron James, but all the guys that I've ever worked with or the opportunities I've had, they've all been in the conversation with those guys. And I'm thankful because I don't think if it were just dependent on like the court or the, the field, um, their play, I don't think they would be in a neck and neck conversation with those guys. So having style be the vehicle and me be, you know, kind of the architect of that has really meant a lot to me. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to all the things that have been going on now, man, it's just really, it's really cool to, uh, to be a part of. Yeah, we definitely will get into some of that cause that's some really exciting stuff, but I don't want to skip over the sco- the story part so we can find the lessons for the young people. Right. And, right. um, so 
you know, a lot of people talk about, especially in America, it's all about who you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's certainly some truth to that. But what I find interesting about your story was that it wasn't like a one plus one equals two, where you just like, I know Michael Red, all of a sudden I'm the guy. It was like, no, I still have to, I still have to take that risk. I still got to leave this cush job. I still got to, you know, actually get up and go to La La Land and try and yeah. grind and find. And then it was after that grind where Mike said, okay, yeah. now I see what you're doing. Let's go. Yeah, man, and that really, that really kind of changed my perspective, man. And you, you brought up my sister um, earlier, and I remember having a conversation with her while I was an intern because I really had the attitude at that time, not knowing any better. You know, even with my friends that were professional athletes at the time, like I had to, I had to go through a lot of personal ridicule for like making a choice I did. You know, like people um, accuse me of. Just like not to cast any judgment or anything like that, but people accuse me of like just because I was into fashion or whatever, like questioning my sexuality mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like all these personal attacks. Like, again, I'm not throwing shade at any of that, but personally, like no one wants to be accused of something that's not true for no reason. Just trying to do something that they love. And, and you think about that now for somebody, a guy just wanting to be in fashion and then being challenged in that way. For me, it just it almost it, almost, it was so hurtful that it, it made me want to quit, to be real, because it was like. I, like how, like how, just because I like fashion, I'm a dude, whatever, how do I, why do I have to go through this kind of like wrongful, uh, you know, and really assertive attacks for no reason, just being mm-hmm. created. And, and I really felt like um, early on, I was owed an opportunity. Like I felt like, you know, the successful people around me, like, I, I felt like they should off the rip, you know, give me a chance. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like I needed to prove anything. And, and I think that now being in my being in the position that I'm in, now I'm actually the person that a lot of people look to to help them out um, and send a, a helping hand. Like that lesson for me, understanding that you should go to your passions and try to achieve your goals with no expectations from anybody else other than yourself and like really commit into the process um, of becoming because without those struggles, without those hardships, there's be no sustainability uh, when you get here. You know, like if I was dependent on my sister or Mike or whoever else that I knew close, you know, in my close knit circles to give me that opportunity that has no guarantee um, as far as me sustaining that success and, and no longevity. So to actually go through the process and get the chip on my shoulder that I needed um, to go through the hardships um, and now to be considered, you know, somebody in my you know, field that is, is the best or one of the best, that means a lot because I know for a fact, like when we have these conversations, I can do it, you know, from a very, a, a, a really, sincere place of humility because I, I went through all of the journey. I went through every single thing you can go through to somebody telling you, you know, you know, you're not going to make it or you aren't, uh, you know, regarded in a way that, you know, that somebody would give you a helping hand. And that's really, man, I can't even tell you how big of a deal that was to like just going through the hardships and, feeling like somebody was supposed to help me out and not getting that helping hand, how deflating that was, but also how rewarding that same yeah. thing was. Like, 
you know, once I got through it. Yeah. It's, it, it, like I said, that's why I love this show and what we're trying to accomplish here. We're trying to draw those parallels between what happens on the court, the game that you and I both love, and then what happens in life. So we all, I always talk to kids when they're playing, like, seek out adversity. As crazy as that sounds, adversity is not something to duck and dodge. That's something that you want to embrace because it's what's going to be what you stand on later when things get tough. And, and it's like the, the pillar to your success is that those adversities that you go through earlier. Now, it's interesting to me that you brought that up so early. It's something I wanted to get into later, but I'm going to go ahead and let this happen. When you talk about your sexuality, yeah. um, you know, it's something you my family. Every time I brag about you, every time I want to let people know how proud I am of you, uh, you know, that's the first question out their mind. Right. Like, it's, it's it, it drives me nuts. It drives me crazy. But, but like, I want to know from your experience, like, here, here's my couple of questions. So one, has that died down the more successful that you've gotten? And then two, how do you go about answering that question honestly without offending yeah. the, the homosexual community? Yeah, I think, man, that's a great question, bro. And I'm glad actually I get to address it. Um, uh, again, it's like so, uh, it, it is, sometimes I'm at a loss for words just because it's like, I don't understand how like there's no reason that would be any kind of uh, accusation or anything like that so it just it, it kind of like baffles me but um i think early on bro i was really upset and like angered by it you know um especially just being from ohio not really being exposed or um you know put in situations where that kind of a lifestyle or anything like that was familiar to me so i definitely had like really small minded um, opinions and thoughts about about homosexuals and and all kinds of stuff like just based on not knowing you know but what calmed me down and what actually gave me peace about it and deal, to deal with it is actually one I have a lot of gay friends you know I have a lot of people that are so the most wonderful people in the world and man like the piece that I have in answering the question now versus like when somebody would accuse me of like being gay or something like that, just for my um, profession, um, it just comes from confidence and the fact that I have so many like great relationships with individuals and friendships with, with individuals who are, you know, in um, the LG, LGBTQ or excuse me, like the homosexual community or whatever that are just genuine and really loving friendships and relationships. And so because I have that awareness um, now um, and I'm accomplished and I just don't feel that's a battle that I even need to fight, I don't have any, there's no insecurity there, you know? Like, I'm just like, dude, like, you can think whatever you like to think, but, you know, I don't have an opinion. The truth is the truth. is always going to be the truth. And I just come from a place of love and um, pure, you know, acceptance and, that's really it, dude. Like, I don't have no fear. You know, people do two, they do things out of two reasons, love or fear. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when people act out of fear, um, it's coming from a place that they have a fear of not being loved or being accepted. And so they, they resort to anger, they resort to, you know, a combative response. And for me, man, in my whole entire life, not just this subject, you know, we were raised in church, bro. And mm -hmm. The, the main initiative of our faith and, you know, my foundation in Christ is to love. 
So mm-hmm. I don't have any judgment towards anybody. And I don't let people judgments towards me that are rooted in, you know, lies or dishonesty, like affect me. So I'm always going to show love that gives me peace. And so to, to address it now, it's nothing to me. Like I, it's not true. There's, there's no, there's absolutely no truth to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just have peace, you know, and I think as I've gotten more successful, um, and people have more of a knowledge to me and there's more, there's more footage, there's more content of me actually speaking and talking about who I am as a person. I mm-hmm. think that those, uh, those myths as it regards, you know, this particular topic, you know, are kind of dispelled. And at the end of the day, dude, who cares? Right. Right. <laughs> like, for real. I mean, I'm older too. Like I'm, I'm right. 34. So like, I, I really don't have time to be arguing about something that really doesn't matter. So. Yeah. No, I mean, you're spot on that, Brandon. You gotta, you know, I know that you know this, but I'm just kind of talking to everybody that people do what they need to do to navigate their own life. So I want to, I want to navigate everything. So in order to navigate everything, I need to identify everything. You know, if I don't know what it is, I might run into it. So, so I must give it a label. Uh, and then, then they use that, whatever they've learned in the past to sort of identify those labels. So people in fashion, you know, are, are homosexual. That's what I've learned. Uh, people, you know, black people are this. That's what I've learned. Females are that. That's what I've learned. So I must navigate that. You know, it must be. Yeah. And, and all the, you know, and this is where the narrative has to change um, in mainstream media, man. And we have to stop typecasting people. You know, we had to stop playing into, to, even in the world of style and in general, like given judging a book by its cover or like even having that mentality of like, having a judgment um, outlook, that's, it's really dangerous. You know, we have to stop saying that uh, you are a man, so you must be X, Y, Z. You're a woman, so you must be X, Y, Z. No, like I'm a world changer. I'm a visionary. I'm an artist. I'm, you know, creative. And, you know, I don't, I don't, associate or abide by like somebody else's rule book first and foremost and secondly like i'm not going to condition myself or anybody around me that i have influence to to abide by labels and um i think you you limit your genius when you when you allow yourself to give into that mentality of like stereotypes like is it it's crazy to think i was watching um you know the last dance right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one of the things that was was pretty shocking to me was how bizarre Dennis Rodman was perceived at that time compared to us looking at him now and publicly uh, judging and receiving and perceiving the the imagery, the same images that we saw in 98, 96, 97 today have, they were so foreshadowed and like had so much foresight. Like now we digest like, man, Dennis Rodman was like, so he was lit. Like Mm -hmm. he was Mm -hmm. dope. You know what I mean? Like back then, mm-hmm. he was not viewed as that. He was like a problem. Right. He was like, beside his performance on the court, like everybody thought that he was a freak. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but now we look at that same footage just based on our awareness and our education. I think our outlook as a, a worldview, and we're like, man, Dennis Rodman was the coolest person on that right. court. Right. And like that's crazy. It's same thing like with 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 weed, right? Marijuana's legal most parts of the country like back in the day 20 years ago 
10 years ago, and this to give relevance to that time, it's like Facebook wasn't even around, you know? So right, right. think about how short of a time that is for a mass conception to like change. Everybody's like, you smoke weed, you do this. Oh, that's so illegal. You're so bad. Now you got those same people, those same business entities, like people that you would never think accepting it now, welcoming it and now promoting it. And it's just like, because we started from a place of ignorance, but when yeah. you refuse to be ignorant and you just are loving and you're empathetic and you're non-judgmental and you accept people for who they are and let their genius shine and find ways to make their make them great to make yourself great that is really the part of like life that's a blessing you know so yeah and that's exactly why i asked you that first part of that question is just you know how, do you receive that question less now today than you did before because i'd like to think in a world where like you said we've gotten smarter we've gotten more uh, accepting across the board you would think that question is asked less and less today is that the case uh i think it's not as upfront. It's not the first assumption. You know what I mean? I, again, I feel like that's because I have more content out there uh, that's a little more, you know, revealing as far as like who I am, what I stand for, <laughs> and all that stuff. But, bro, I mean, I, in the black community, uh, we we're really behind when it comes to like our narratives. You know, like I think that more so a black man being in fashion or, you know, a black man who does hair or anything that unfortunately, like we get, we get typecast because of those creative jobs. Uh, you know, because we're not an athlete, because we're not like, we don't possess this like hard shell of what is supposed to be like sure. manly or whatever. Um, and so we get those questions a lot more often because I think, you know, one, because of race and culture, like, unfortunately mm -hmm. that sucks, but you know, not just the fact that I'm in fashion, but, um, but also the fact that like African American men, uh, deal with that. If we don't fall under the norm society of what is like considered a strong black man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I know that I'm going to explore with, uh, with the key when she comes on, but that the, the whole entire, um, notion is is ridiculous at the end of the day we all got to be ourselves you got to be comfortable right. in who you are and then you have to approach your craft with a get better everyday mentality so you've definitely done that so getting back to your craft talk to me about because just for me watching you from afar and you tell me if i'm wrong i have the andrew wiggins draft day as like your blow up day would you say would you say, would you put that as your moment or was there a moment before that because I, mean, I mean you were on the map after that one no yeah, I think I think what the Wiggins draft day joint was cold because I think that was that was probably like I don't I can't even explain how how much of an impact I think that had you know in in style and just in the NBA. I mean, it it really changed it changed the way people in sports dress completely. Like for the ESPYS, for you know, I mean, just it completely to to to, to think about that. Um, and to think about how it came about is just, it's a cool moment. So yeah, I think that that probably is my most widespread jump off moment, like for sure. Uh, don't rob, don't like, rob us of that moment. What was that moment where that how how that come about? Because yeah. I was just sitting here watching the draft and and I saw it and I said, oh man, who did that? This is this is how I saw it. I was like, man, that's something else. I never seen it like that. Who did that? So I Google who did it. 
and I see you. I'm like, that's my cousin. You know what I'm saying? So I was excited, right. man. I was hyped. But you tell uh, me how that came about. Oh, uh, man. So, you know, I had been working with Mike Conley. Mike Conley was uh, was one of my first clients and um, outside of Mike Red. And uh, they had the same. Andrew Wiggins was a rookie. Um, and I had done such a good job with Mike Conley um, that year that, you know, his agency had contacted me like, hey, we, uh, I can't really get into it, but we got like a really big opportunity for you if you're, if you're up for it and we think you'd be perfect, you know, just on a personal level. And, and I, if I could say anything to anybody watching or listening, um, a lot of times, yes, your talent has to be there. Your skills have to be there. But people work with people they like, you know, and your likability and the way you make people feel is like really important. And so that's been one thing, like as a friend, as a professional um, and as a human being that I really like zero in on is just like my character and making sure that like people can feel my character. My dad used to say, you know, all the time, he would be like, uh, you know, reputation is what you do or people know you for what you do in front of them and character is what you do by yourself. And so for me, that always stuck with me, you know, uh, and and I believe that's what got me that opportunity because I was liked and because I did the right thing, you know, I was integral um, to the process of Mike Conley that led me to Andrew Wiggins. So, and again, they didn't tell me it was Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> they just like, you know, we have opportunity for you. So I was like, all right, cool. But I had the same zest. I had the same like hype, you know, and uh, this excitement without even knowing just because of the job, you know, I was like, I would love to, to do whatever you guys ask me to do. So they're like, all right, cool. So we're going to tell you, here's this non-compete form, sign this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, cool. They're like, yo, we want you to dress Andrew Wiggins for the draft. I'm like, oh, snap, for real? Because at the time, Jabari Parker and him, it was Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid, and Andrew Wiggins. And everybody's like, yo, who's going to be number one, number two, or number three? And, um, you know, it was before they did their workouts and everything. So I didn't know if I had the number one draft pick or not. At that moment, I think, like, Jabari Parker was, like, ahead of Wiggins, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so he was staying in, like, some community down here in Santa Barbara that I drove down, I met him. You know, everything was good. And um, I made the suit with, uh, well, the, the guy who designed and made the suit is Warrior Boswell. And he's like a legend. And so that was our first time working together. And uh, I went to a fabric store and I uh, was pulling fabrics. But long story short, there was a Dalmatian print fabric, not the floral print fabric. Okay. The floral print is what he ended up wearing. Right. Dalmatian By the way, fabric. we'll put this, uh, we'll put an, we'll put a Google link in the yeah. show notes so everybody can see. In case you don't know this suit, you got to go see this suit. So we'll put it in the notes, check the notes for the suit. Yeah, so the Dalmatian print was what we decided on first. And um, it was beautiful, man. It's like black and white, same schematic or whatever. But, you know, it was a little more subtle um, than what he ended up wearing. So two weeks into the process of getting the suit made, I get a call from Boswell like, yo, they're out of the fabric, bro. You know, so I go to the fabric store again, pull from like upholstery fabrics. Like this is like that fabric that I pulled was actually a drapes, like a, a curtain and drapes fabric that was vintage. And I've sent a picture to Boswell, and then I sent a picture to their agent. They're like, man, 
we don't know, if, you know, we don't know if he can pull this off. I'm like, nah, man, like, he, listen, because there was so much hype. If you remember the draft that year, Andrew Wiggins, like, there was so much hype about him. So, yeah, yeah he was um, supposed to be next LeBron, really. 100%. So, mm-hmm. I was like, uh, look, we can't go into it trying to, like, tone him down. I feel like, and this is the part where having vision, having confidence, and, mm-hmm. and really everything that I had done at that moment prepared me to speak with confidence about this particular situation. You know, without all those experiences, those ups and those downs, I don't really think I would have the confidence to really be in a room and tell these agents like, nah, this is going to work. Um, it's going to be a huge moment um, because they, they really weren't for it. They were like, man, this is loud. You know, <laughs> we don't want him to, I was like, no, but we're already talking about the narrative is that he is going to be the next, this next sex. We got to make him look like he's already there. Mm-hmm. Like I want to make him look like LeBron would look at the all-star game. You know, mm-hmm. like I want to mm-hmm. take him there. Like I can see that being the way we should go. So they 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 trusted me. Man, we got this jacket made. I remember I was in New York finishing. Uh, we did a final fitting in the hotel the night before. I I was I had Taylor in my room, like literally stitching this thing until like four o'clock in the morning. Um, and then you know it was ready. I delivered it to his room, and it was so crazy, Rick. Man, like I put it on him. We're in the room. We're taking pictures. It was the first time. WWD is like a, a fashion magazine. Everybody in fashion gets this magazine. It's uh, it's second to none as far as publication goes. It's like the, the news and the business of fashion is where okay. that he was front page. You know, they were following him for the for the drafts. The first time this happened, and to be at the center of that man, he, they posted a picture before he left the hotel room. By the time he got like they they posted a picture on their Twitter. Um, this is before like IG Live and IG Stories and all that stuff, but we mm-hmm. had Twitter. So some, somebody posted a picture of him while we were in the hotel getting ready, bro. He walks out of the room. By the time he gets downstairs, he's it completely went viral, like mm-hmm. everywhere. Like it was so different from anything anyone had ever worn. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we look at it now like, oh, like people dress right. like that all the time. It's still right, right, sharp right. and hold it on. But like at that time in 2014, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody was doing that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he goes and gets on the bus, man. And like that's all anybody's talking about. It's like, did you see Andrew Wiggins too? Did you see like that? I mean, it, right? It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like right, right. so um, to be there, and I was in Barclays. You know, I was in Barclays uh, Stadium, man. And they posted a picture of me with him. I had a red suit on. You know, so I was pretty like spot, you know, I think you spot me in a crowd <laughs> um, and it, my phone. And then he got selected number one, which we didn't know. Like we thought he was either going to be one or two, but mm-hmm. he got selected number one. And Jason Williams did the interview, man, like, man, like, who, what suit is this? I'm like, man, and, the, and my guy, Andrew, mm-hmm. name dropped me. Yeah, he, did. Yeah, he, did. <laughs> he said, yeah, suit is uh, styled by Brandon Williams and, and made by Boyle. But I was like. You know, and then my phone just went nuts, berserk. Um, they ended up making a shoe the next year out of the draft, that like, concept. Um, you know, you had the Drake song at that time. Mm-hmm. There were costumes in Walmart in Kansas, like, of Andrew Wiggins' baby draft day suits. Um, it was a big deal, man. And then yeah. from there, like, everything changed. From ESPYs to drafts, like, you know, even fashion shows, like, menswear was different and just to know like i didn't get the credit for you know all of that but i mean it was a culture shift you know which was cool 
Yeah, man, it, it was cool. It's cool for, the, for you to be a part of that. And I know you keep um, referencing how just, you know, in just six years, yeah. how much how much things have changed. You know, Twitter in 2014 was the number one, you know, then then Instagram. Now you got TikTok, right? So how, how do those things, as, a, as a, the technology changes, how, how does your job change? Is it all good for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what's crazy is my job has changed, you know, like as, as, uh, as, you know, time is, has gone on and the styling is great. Like that still is prevalent, but, um, just my knowledge and my background has gotten to play more of a role in like what I do professionally, you know? So having that idea, cause as much as of a style choice that, that Andrew Wiggins thing was, it was also a marketing choice, you know? And, and that, and that's, that's the thing It's like, I, I would encourage anybody to keep your vision solid about how you want to do and pursue your lane, because there's a million people while I was doing and dressing Mike Conley and before Andrew would be like, stick to the style, stick to the, you know, the outfits and don't get too over, you know, indulgent in like marketing ideas and the narratives. But like, that was, that was what I wanted to contribute to, you know, the world of styling. So when I had the opportunity to actually in some way sneak my idea, my vision in there, you see what happens, right? So that decision has led me into different elements of, you know, my job, which the technology part, you know, allows for me to really give light to like some of those narrative shifts, you know, for, for clients, it's not just outfits. It's like, what, what are these looks and what is the repetition of like presenting this image to the world? How does that, um, how does that relate and play into your overall schematic of things. So, you know, more of a branding strategist role um, in addition to the styling. So it definitely hasn't hurt. Um, my my endeavors has actually helped and kind of given me a little more longevity in terms of uh, irrelevance, in terms of, uh, in terms of my profession. So what about, so I know going back to the Wiggins, but not just the Wiggins, but like anything that you do, is subject to criticism, right? I mean, sometimes you're gonna knock it out the park, and sometimes you might hit, you might miss, right? You might be like, "Man, that outfit was whack." How much pressure do you put on yourself to like make sure these dudes look good every single time, or do you, do you just take risk and let it go where it goes? Man, you know, I I think there's a lot of pressure, um, but you know, like anything, uh, if you if you were somebody who never played basketball ever in your life and they put you on an, an NBA team and put you on the line with five seconds on the clock and you were shooting game time or game, you know, game time free, free throws, you would feel the pressure, right? <laughs> um, but if you, if you do that a hundred more times, but a hundred times, you probably feel a lot better about it. Right. Um, and I think that's for me, like exactly how I feel. I'm just confident and I've learned, you know, that what helps the failure, the fail rate drop is really tapping into who these guys are uh, individually, um, not letting fashion play, you know, a role more so than their narrative or their story, because the story is really the style part. Like why you, why you drive a certain car is just as, or more important than why, what the car actually is, mm. you know? And from that one decision, we can, we can, we can tell a, a lot of stories and, 
and, and understand a lot about a person based on their choices if we just tell the story correctly. So that takes the pressure off me. I think a great T-shirt is just as effective as a blazer if it's the right choice. Right. And I think, you know, guys got to learn that. And uh, I'm more I'm more worried about teaching the concept of that idea than actually like putting somebody in like. Thank you very much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, we would appreciate it if you head over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening and go ahead and give us a, uh, a review. Subscribe to the show so you can get notifications on when the next episode is coming out. Share it with your friends. We are in the infant stages of our show and we can use as much support as we can get. So if you guys are enjoying what we're bringing to you, head over to iTunes, head over to Spotify, share, subscribe, review. Now back to the show. Uh, you know, a fly outfit. So I read a couple of your articles that you have out there before before we talked tonight. And one of them that, that stuck out to me was an article they had um, with you and Jeff Green. And you were talking about how, you know, like you mentioned the flexibility factor, right? It's just like you and Jeff Green got a good like vibe. So that helps. Uh, but then you also mentioned that he has a style, right? He's the hoodie guy and he likes to keep it athleisure and chill. Now, how much control ultimately does Jeff Green have over what he wears? If he hires you, is it like he's he can tell you no, that's it, you get a lot of pushback from these guys, or is it a lot of trust where they say, Okay, Bernie, I trust you on this one, all right. I, I pick my battles. Okay. Um, and I think it's important, you know, to acknowledge their genius, their their comfortabilities and and I think that goes into I would rather again, like for me, what's more important than a fly outfit or a photo op is um me and my clients rapport, you know, and I want them to feel and understand and know that like I get them. So me acknowledging the fact that Jeff is a more casual kind of guy, and you know, imagine like that, that job security for me, actually like letting him push back to me, <laughs> like, all right, cool. You're going to wear your hoodie this time, but I'm going to allow you and like push back, you know, for you to trust me more on opportunities that I think are, are like more important. And that I think are, are, are bigger for you to kind of like stretch your narrative. So, um, it's important to just allow them to be them, acknowledge that and build the relationship and the trust and the friendship more so than it's two sided, you know, more so than me just being, you know, making it all about me. Like, no, you're going to wear this. And like, nobody wants to deal with that, bro. Like <laughs> they're paying me at the end of the day. And I don't ever want to be a pain in the ass, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about that. You said paying you. Let's talk about the money, man, because first of all, you mentioned image, right? So Image is important, especially today's uh, age with, with social media. But how important is it? Does it just go into, you know, how the public perceives them? Or does it ultimately equal dollars and cents? Um, it's twofold. Uh, I always tell, you know, new clients, like, there's two ways you can approach this. You know, you've gotten to a place in your life where you can, you can drive a Benz or you can drive a Ford. You know, both are efficient you know but it's just a choice in how you you know want to pursue your destination and ironically like public perception because of the way the world is built may cater to and more may attract more opportunity unfortunately driving the bins you know so you know and i use the analogy when you go to 
<laughs> say you have a Bentley or something like that, or like you just you have a you have a nice car and you go to your dealership and you put it in the shop and you're driving a rental and it's like not as nice. And so you pull up to a car wash and like the way they treat you in that like lower level car compared to like your high end car is completely different. It's it's the craziest thing, right? Um, but it's real. So it definitely results in dollars and cents. I think that the NBA is one of the only leagues where I alluded to this earlier, where like the 12th man on the bench, you know, or, you know, the six man can be just as relevant outside of the field or on the court uh, because of his image and the choices that he makes outside. The court. So that is a, that is a really strong example to make with them. Um, and then otherwise, the other way is just convenience, you know, like I prefer not even the, just the service part of it, you know, it's like, I don't want to really think about what I need to wear, but I know I need to look a certain way. And I like, I trust your eye. I appreciate it. A lot of it's an investment in myself. So I got to keep myself together. Like a lot of these guys, they, they believe in what, what I put out to the world, you know, like, yo, he's cool. He's got it together. He knows what this is, you know, he's culture like that all, you know, uh, extended to my business. So those, those are the two ways I really feel like guys win, um, naturally, you know, doing this whole thing. And it definitely does result in like more money, I think in the long run, maybe not on the forefront, but I think subconsciously when your image is right, it works in your favor. Right. And like you said, you don't, you know, you've got, you've got some guys, I mean, you know, Mike Conley and, uh, Andrew Wiggins and Rudy Gay and you know yeah. these are these are players. I mean anyone who follows the league knows these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you said, they're not the international James Harden, LeBron <laughs> James. Um, what it you know? What is it? What's the gap? How, how is it that you get to that level? Like I see a dude like D Wade. Is he doing that himself, or is he? Is this somebody no, else's? Yeah, stylist. I mean, they all like. They, every, all those guys have stylists and and, got, and people like me in their in their circle, um, you know, carving out you know different decisions and 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 you know adding to the team, you know, um, especially now. Uh, and for me, I don't necessarily chase that. I don't I don't see the power in it all altogether. Um, I've had. My, what I'll say is like some of the bigger name clients that I have had, like those are the, you know, situations that don't tend to actually like work out the longest, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's when I've been able to grow with people, it's been, you know, when I've been able to like actually force these like good relationships and it almost is like, you know, we take it upon ourselves. Like, all right, we're going to, we're going to show the world, like, that we we the ones that should be talking about, you know, and that it's that camaraderie and that that togetherness that is created there. Where like, if I was working for like a a international superstar, um, it's a lot harder to prove your value. You know, what I mean, because they have such a valuable uh, stake in you know an exposure level that you can't really take too much credit for it. I mean, you can keep them up to par, but like. I love to be able to make a difference for somebody. Mm-hmm. I love to to be able to take a guy like Rudy, you know, where people know him. He's like a player's player and he's been naturally cool for years. But to actually get people talking about him um, and he's been around for a long time, like I can see a measurable 
impact that mm-hmm. you know I had a, a, a hand in. And, and then Mike Conley, like being able to grow with him and be a part of that narrative uh, has been great. And, you know, now I'm focusing on people in, in the MLB and I really want to be on the forefront of changing that, that league's narrative. Um, because I think the guys in, uh, in that sport are, are really cool. They just mm-hmm. don't have, you know, when we were growing up, we had Ken Griffey, we had, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, Lofton, we had David Justice, we had, mm-hmm. you know, Kyle Ripken, uh, Nolan Ryan, all these guys that mm-hmm. had like narratives off the field in baseball. Um, and I think now it's a little lost. And so like it, the NBA definitely holds most of most real estate when it comes to like media and, and off the court narrative. But I, I'm taking this model and I'm trying to get it, you know, kind of transposed into uh, the baseball culture as well. And you're a little bit into football, too. You got a couple of NFL clients. Yeah. Too. NFL is different, man. Like, I work with Mercedes Lewis, and we did a lot of great work. Like, you know, again, that was somebody who I can look back on his career before, like, we actually started working together mm-hmm. and became friends and and distinctively point to and, and mark out where we've made a difference by this work that we do over here. So... Um, and that's hard to do. NFL guys are different, man. They're not all, um, they're not as charismatic. Well, the problem with that league is that, you know, it's the helmets, right? When they go to work, you can't see their face. So when I watch, when I watch the NFL, I'm watching that helmet. And right. it's only the, it's only the super big ones that transcend that, you know, Tom Brady and things like that. But, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm here. In, in the NBA, it's like everybody knows it's only 12 of them on each team, six or seven, eight of them that play. If you get on the court, we know who you are. So then when you're out in the club or you're out anywhere, social media is going to find you. And uh, that image becomes really important. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, you have to be really selective in like who you actually, um, you know, choose to say yes to, you know? Um, And again, I use this saying, it's like, thirst will kill the appetite. Um, if you show your hand before you're ready, then you almost can't come back from that. Okay. You're only as good, and it comes back to, like, your question about pressure. You're only as good as your last showing, you know, especially in my, in my field. You know, I can't have too many – I can't have too many mistakes. And the reason why the story is just as important as – the, the choice or the decision is because I can get somebody to empathize and, and see power in the narrative opposed to the actual like choice in shoes or whatever. Like if, if you were driving a Datsun and you're like, yo, like why are you driving that whip? Yo, like you can get something else. You should be driving something else. But if I told you why that, that, that brings some type of like empathetic view and it, and it gives an association, like a humanity, you know, reasoning part that it goes way beyond just the, the actuality. It's like, you know, I'm driving a Datsun to this red carpet because, you know, my mom drove this kind of car when we were little. And we always talked about going to the red carpet. Since she couldn't be here with me, I wanted to drive the car because it made me feel like she was with me. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that kind of takes that takes away the, the focus of like, oh, the Dyson and it gives power to the story. It's like, and that just shows you about the people. So whenever I'm working with somebody, you know, it's not, everything is going to have a story, you know, like 
if, if it's a pair of shoes, if it's a jean more that stands out than or a pant that stands out more than the next or a blazer, something like that, it's all going to have a story. It's all going to um, be succinct with like the actual person wearing it, you know? How, how competitive is it, Brandon, between stylists? Right. I mean, you said all these guys got stylists. Yeah. So when you out there, are you I mean, do you have other stylist friends or are you guys pretty much like, hey, man, don't talk to me. Don't, I'm not talking to you. Yeah, no, I, I definitely again, you know, I'm sort of people that you do it differently. But like for me, it's all about I, I believe in the power of relationships. And um, I have a lot of stylist friends. And I, I think for me, it's about seeing greatness in others and recognizing people's greatness. Um, that will eventually, you know, allow for your platform to grow and, um, you know, not being threatened. So, yes, I definitely have a lot of stylist friends. I think it is competitive. But when you have a when you have a narrative, when you have a message and you know exactly what you do well uh, and you're not thirsty, the opportunities that are for you, they 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 have a way of, of coming to you, you know, like being vulnerable like that, you know, not being fearful of comp- comp- competition and being inspired and, and competing or whatever, have that vulnerability is coming from a sincere place of love. For one, the art, you know, of what you're doing, but secondly, like of yourself. And when you move with love like that, it allows for that love to come back to you. And you don't have to worry about fitting in. You know, it's really not about fitting in. It's about having that mentality of finding where you belong and it just, it gives you peace, you know? And, and again, that's kind of a concept that hangs over my head with everything. So we can talk about the typecasting. We can talk about, you know, the pressure that you feel to perform, you know, without fail or without any kind of uh, bad results. That concept kind of reigns supreme with me, at least like, it gives me peace. I'm not worried about what anybody really thinks because I'm living honest. I'm living integral. Um, and at this point in my life, I've done enough things right to know that if it's not for you, it's for somebody else. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's really cool, man. Any of us who are lucky enough to do the thing that we would do for free, right? You talked about in the very beginning. You were like, "Look, man." before I even knew what I was going to do, I knew I wanted to do this. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I remember Easter Sunday and this is just the, the space I wanted to be in. So for you to live in that space, all the, all the perks that come with it is great, but you wouldn't, you would do it anyway. Right. But anyway, man, I mean, it's so, I like talking to you about this because you like, you're my family. So, you know what I'm telling you, like sometimes when you're talking to a stranger, or we're talking to somebody who doesn't know you and you're telling your story, you know, you feel like you got to give some kind of like extra added uh, element that lets them know you're not gassing or making up anything. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. tell you like certain things. I'm, I've told this a million times, but like, I know you can feel me because you knew me, you yeah. know where right. I come from. Like I'm being 100% honest. Like mm-hmm. this stuff was in me. Like, Early, early on. Actually, you know, I'm going to show you something. All right. One second. Crazy. Uh, so, what's so wild, dude, I know you're not recording video, but what's so wild is like, check this out. 
So I'll take a picture of it. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. So this picture, dude. These are. I remember one. So I'll tell you the story about this one. This one, I, I remember. Uh, <laughs> King Griffey had a shoe out, and I said earlier, like I wanted to, even if I did bad on a basketball court. I would cover myself by thinking like it's all good because I was work for Nike. Right. <laughs> um, and I was in whenever I got I this particularly like I I was uh in fifth grade, maybe. Yeah, fifth grade. I wasn't getting no playing time <laughs> on my travel <laughs> basketball team. And I remember just being in my room like so upset and I used to just draw and, and the only thing that had gave me comfort that night, um was thinking like I'm just gonna work for Nike, you know. So mm. I kept this drawing because at the time it was like such a good drawing for like a little ten year old or eleven year old of Jew, you know. So my mom mm-hmm. kept it. And then this other time is when I was in church, you know, and this is around like ninety eight, um, ninety, yeah, maybe like ninety, actually ninety six, okay. um, when Patent of the Jordans and the pennies started coming out. Yep. Um, and I remember drawing this in church, like praying, asking God, like, you know, to let me go to the NBA. And if, <laughs> if I don't, you know, let me have my own shoe. I don't know what I was thinking, but if you look closely, like that B logo. Yeah. And then you look on my logo, it's actually, and I forgot I had this, bro. But like years later, I made my logo and it actually ended up being very similar to this. And then cut to like maybe even last year where I'm doing a whole campaign that Nike called me to do about their like everyday athletes about sports changes, everything and my impact on sports, but not being an athlete. Like they were in like a crew of 15 people in my house, like interviewing me about like my contribution to like the world of like sports Mm -hmm. and that's Nike, bro. Like Mm -hmm. I I actually like lost it. Like I completely started crying. It's like all of that, all of that work, all of that, every moment becomes like so real at one time because you realize like this is exactly what I like prayed for my entire life. Every right. moment, every hardship, every triumph, it kind of led me here. You right. know, like, it was my whole entire like life's work as a human being that manifested itself. And that's how powerful your mind is. And that's why it's like so important to stick to what you believe God wants for you and has for you because those moments exist and they're waiting for all of us, I believe. And that's, that's such a powerful thing, Brennan, for you to just have that dream young and then stick to it and then get it. I do. Listen, I want you to go into the Nike stuff. I want to know how that came about, but, but first, you know, and I, listen, I'm sorry to any listeners who aren't into in-depth conversation about people. If you don't like that, press fast forward because you're not going to like this next segment. But I, I, listen, man, I want to get deep with you for a second, okay? Cool. Because here's the thing, B. So, you know, we was together for those couple of years in 1990, 92, whatever that yep. was. And uh, my father, your father, trying to do the co-pastoring and all that stuff. Yeah. Now, at that time, I'm, I'm older than you, so I have the same dream, right? I want to be an NBA player. You know, basketball is my life. But my my personal life, right, what's going on in my family yeah, yeah. is not as successful as what's going on in your house. Yeah, yeah, right? your, your father was more successful than my father, right? Yeah. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. So 
I feel like me believing that I could do anything I wanted to do was harder to do from where I was at. So, so even with where you were now, you were successful and your father was successful, but you're still a black man in America, right? So at the end of the day, my question is at any point during this dream and this rise to your dream, did you ever doubt it? Did you ever say, you know what? I'm not good enough. I'm not, this is not for me. Uh, you know, who am I to ask for something like that? Because I'm sharing with my listeners, honestly, there were times in my career where I absolutely did that. I've overcome that. Obviously. I'm, I'm yeah. successful where I'm at now. Yeah. There were times in my life I thought I wasn't going to be much. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, that's such a dope question. And, and so cool. We get to talk about this, man, as grownups. Um, but yeah, like, I think for me, it, I didn't, I didn't necessarily ever, I think my parents always, you know, gave me the right verbal cues and they all, they always, I don't really feel like they never made me believe personally that I couldn't do anything. They always made me believe I could do anything I wanted to do. And to be real, like you said, my environment of what was happening, you know, like we, it, it seemed like I could do that, you know, it didn't seem like far fetched, but I will tell you, that is the the good part about they never really gave me any any of this you know like they they would encourage me they sent me to school you know thankfully um but when it comes to the hard knocks of life um nah i mean that that doesn't last you have to go through the fire yourself you know and and so i may have not gotten the uh the grit and a chip on my shoulder to succeed through, you know, my upbringing. But like once I was grown, the things that that's what I'm saying, life gives you what you need. Like, I'll be honest with you, that whole thing being told like and, and, and being accused of being gay. Not again, no problem with that at all. But it was it's not me. It's not yeah. true. So like anybody that's being accused of something that's not for them, it's hurtful, especially when you come from such a place of honesty. It really, it really did make me want to quit this because I didn't understand, you know? Like, I wanted to quit completely because I was so hurt. Um, and being able to press through that, being able to kind of get over what that was kind of, you know, exposing about myself and about my lack of confidence and things and areas that I needed to really try to perfect and address um, to get to the place and deal with where I'm at now in life, that was a real milestone for me. And then secondly, you know, I could have the nicest shoes on in the, in the, in the, in the whole school or be dressed to flights in the whole school, but they weren't going to get me playing. That wasn't going to get me playing time. You know, my dad could have the biggest house in the, we got the biggest house in the, in the, in the school or in the neighborhood or whatever. Um, but that wasn't getting me playing time, you know, like, because at the end of the day, I had like a case study right in front of my face. My brother was coming from the same household. He was good. He was great. And he got playing time. So very early on, I had the same dreams as him, but I could see like, well, he's just like way better than me. Like, so I had to comp overcompensate with my work ethic and I had to like overcome personally, like whatever demons or whatever, like, um, you know, struggles or hurdles I was going through emotionally to like 
that voice telling me you're not good enough, that voice, you know, life telling me like, no, nah, it's not for you. You need to find something else. If I never just get over that and believe and, and work harder than, you know, the next guy and get that concept early on, I don't make it to where I'm at now. So um, although our environments were different, I think like people that live in different cultural or different uh, economic situations, different, um, you know, family dynamics, like whatever your situation is, we all deal with our own struggles. And I can't minimize or overemphasize one person from the next. I think that we all get it um, in a different form, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's powerful stuff, man. And I think that, um, you know, I, I do remember those days. And I do remember your rise through the sport of basketball. And I remember Brian being better. And I remember you struggling with that. But this is why I love this game. And this is why I love, you know, I'm so thankful to get this opportunity to, to do this podcast and just like spread this truth to the world, which is that, you know, once you've learned how to be successful, you could be successful in multiple different places. And in so once you learn, okay, overcome adversity, be integral, right? You've been talking about that all day, right? Treat people the right way. These are these are habits that successful people do. And if they don't translate to necessarily NBA dreams, they transfer to fashion dreams. And so here you are there. So now that you're here, let's uh, talk me through this Nike thing, man, because let me just give you a little backstory about how proud I am. You know, I'm married. <laughs> And so, you know, me, I'm married and me and my wife know each other pretty well, but not, she, you've never had a chance to meet my wife, but she's upstairs working for her company. She works from home and their company, I won't say the name of it, but their company is doing a, um, a partnership with Nike. Right. So they present this, this new thing, you know, that this new partnership and here she is upstairs and your, your name comes up. Like your vision comes up on, 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 the, on the presentation that this company was giving. And uh, she stops and she goes, I think I know him. You know, so that, I just want you to know, you gave me that moment, That's man. I was, little, I was a celebrity in my own home, man. She came hey, downstairs. So, so tell me about that, man. How did you get to working with Nike, man? That's the dream. You made it. How did yeah. that happen? Bro, it's so crazy. Like, you know, I'm just going about my normal day to day. And uh, I get a phone. I actually get an email that's in my spam email. And it's not from Nike. It's like they have a whole bunch of Nike has like so many different agencies they deal with or whatever. Um, but I get an email like, "Hey, I'm such and such and blah blah from whatever company. I would love to talk to you about an opportunity that we think you're perfect for." So I'm like, "All right." So <laughs> I give a, a shout back, you know, and uh, they the the lady calls me. Uh, and she just basically explains to me like, Hey, we're doing this, we're doing this new campaign and, um, we've gotten your name from like multiple people and we want to focus on people who have had an impact on sports who are, you know, what we are calling like everyday athletes or everyday champions. And, and these are people in the world who have played a big part in like in sports or in sports and um i'm like wow like well who's it for you know it's just like it's nike and i'm like all right like don't even gotta tell me no more like i'm in whatever mm -hmm. you you know whatever whatever you got want me to do like i'm like yeah i'm in so i'm thinking it's like i don't even think it's like as a big big of a deal as it as it is because i just can't fathom it you know what i mean 
Um, I've gotten to do cool things around Jordan brand or like Nike with like going to cool events or they gifted me some shoes, but like never have they, not only did they, like, they were calling me to, to do a commercial on like me, like not for me to just be in a commercial. It's like, no, this, is, this story is about, it's, it's about you. Yeah. I'm like, wow. So how did you guys even, you know, I didn't ask you questions. I was just too excited. So we're going to schedule a conference call. And we want you to tell our team, you know, we're going to schedule a call with Nike and we want you to speak and introduce yourself to Nike. And we want you to talk to them about like, you know, your experience doing what you do. And next thing you know, I'm on a phone call with like Nike and all their executives in that, you know, given department. And uh, I'm telling the story like, man, we're really, I just, I, I couldn't believe it, bro. Like, they're like, we're so excited to tell your story and this is going to be great for us. And, you know, I was the only one that they chose to do a commercial about, you know, digitally or whatnot. But still, I was like one of like four, you know, and the next thing I know, man, I pull up, I pull up to uh, a set, which I'm usually like on because I'm a stylist and I walk on the set, man, it's like trailers everywhere. And, you know, they rented out this park and like, I mean, it's a whole 20 person, you know, 30 person crew and I'm the talent. And, it's just, it was surreal, dude. Like, I couldn't really believe it. So that was the first part. So Sport Changes Everything campaign came out. Um, they blasted me on uh, Nike, uh, like the stores. It was going, you know, looping in their stores. It was on their email chains, their YouTube, and um, on their Instagram. And uh, it went well, right? So then they called me back. And again, the likability, I had really, like, told an honest story, but like more importantly, like I had really connected with some of the people who were helping to tell the story on Nike's behalf. And they're like, man, we want you to, we want you to come up to Portland, you know, like we want you to go uh, visit the campus and, and we have an idea for something else. I'm like, okay, (laughs) like we can do that. (laughs) So they bring me up to, uh, they bring me up to Beaverton, man, the campus. I I'm in awe because I can't believe like Nike's flying me up to, to like visit the campus on top of that they want me to take over their their whole like cell interface like their user interface where like you can interact and get product knowledge and you know advice from a, a expert so they promote this on their on their nike app and i'm like expert for the day and like literally like, people from all over the world are like typing in like can you ask Brandon, like, what does he recommend for this and this and that? Like, and so again, to help me tell my story for them to actually be calling me by name, like globally, like it's a, it still doesn't even make sense to me. So then that goes well. <laughs> and like, Hey, we got an idea. We want to, we want to, we want to tell you, we want you to curate a, a capsule collection out of like SKUs that we already have, but we want you to put your spin on it based on like Hooper, you know, Hooper fits and they build out this whole entire set and uh, have this whole entire crew based on these looks that I'm using, you know, their stuff, you know, I didn't design any of the product, but I'm using their, their, their collection and telling my story. And like, again, to have three commercials with Nike to be on their app, to be in their emails, like that is, they don't like, there's people that play in the NBA and, like, you know, this is my third go around with them. So I'm just like a kid in cane store, man. I'm so blessed. And uh, I think that's probably the highlight of my life. Like, 
you know, to have Nike uh calling me out and shouting me out dude like it's crazy yeah it's, it's a really cool thing man it's a really cool thing but it's, it's on the back end of a lot of hard work man a lot of good work right and be, just being good to people so um now now I, I i do ask myself this does it impact your ability to do your job as far as like you know advise other other brands you know what i mean or now are you now that you're working with them sort of obligated to kind of push their stuff um you know what I'm so upset. Like, listen, I try to, they probably think I'm gassing them when we talk, you know, but it, in all my interactions with Nike, I've, I've just been so transparent as a, as how big of a deal they are for me. Like I've never, I don't have another brand that means more to me than Nike. Um, you know, so I hope that I can continue to work with them and it doesn't, I just do it because it's so natural, you know, like, of course I would do, you know, and promote other opportunities or brands that, you know, present themselves to me. But it's hard for me to be, it will never come from a more authentic place than my story with Nike because Nike is really just a part of my whole entire being. Like, you know, um, yeah. there's no part of my life that I can't or no reality that's present that I can't somehow isolate the influence that Nike has played, which is yeah. really powerful. So, um, I want to start having some more, like some more lighthearted questions. We had some yeah, deep stuff, man, but, uh, you know, I want to have some fun with you too, man. So first of all, my first question is like anyone who's listening to this that knows me knows I have no fashion, bro. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm a coach, man. Like what I'm wearing is what I wear every day. I'm in yeah. either AGB clothes, my, my own program, or I'm in Elgin Academy clothes, the school that I work at. And, uh, it happens. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I'm nike out and I'm Jordan out. That's it. Right, nike, that's Jordan, Kobe. That's the only three like things I know. So, um, you know, do you do any work with a common with a common folk or are you just working yeah. with, with the big time? No, I mean, you know, like, for instance, if I have friends or I have people that just ask me questions in general, like advice. And I think that's the beauty about social media, too, now is like we can actually give, you know, you might not get like a whole freaking consulting or image plan that I would give, you know, Jeff Green or, or Mike Conley, but I can give you hints, you know, just based on sharing my own personal story that are accessible um, to everybody. Um, I think guys, you know, need, need some, some guidelines, you know, like every dude doesn't necessarily need to be fashionable. That's not the goal. I think that every guy just is searching for, you know, to, to overuse the quote, wants to be the man. We all want to be the man, you know, like, and, and we don't want to have inconsistencies or vulnerabilities that like take away from that. So um, ironically, or unfortunately, excuse me, dressing or style seems to be like one of the major insecurities that guys have that do not contribute to their narrative of being a man. So mm. um, because of what? like the societal norm that it's not manly to even care about these things. Right. Mm -hmm. but, um, so I think that every dude should definitely put some type of focus on it. Uh, and I try to give little tips, you know, uh, on my social media, uh, to, for guys to access it, you know? Yeah. And let me just be clear, man. I'm not non-fashionable because I'm, I think of anything like with my sexuality. I just, it's just, I just not, uh, good at it. you know, I don't have to eye for it. I just, uh, of course. You know, like I, but, you know, I don't practice to it either. Like it's not a thing that you, 
Like you either like I I naturally I naturally have been like into this, you know, like so again, it's natural, plus then it's actually like putting in the work to to have a skill set towards it. We tend as guys to put our emphasis on other things over time naturally and it just is a lack of focus there. So it's right. like, man, I just want to be comfortable. Right. Like, yeah. So I remember, uh, I remember you and I. I don't think it was my sister's wedding or something. I don't know. There was some reason why we were in North Carolina together. Candace, Candace somebody was getting married. I don't know. No, no, it wasn't Candace. It was Precious, I think. Precious or or my dad. I don't know. Dad. Yeah. The point was, we were both in North Carolina. We were both over twenty-one, and we got a chance to party, man. We went out. Yeah, we had a man. good time. Um, and, you know, I saw then, I was like, man, adult branding is fun, man. Like, we just had a good time. So that leads me to this question. Like, like, what is the lifestyle of an NBA stylist, man? Because it, it looks fun, bro. From from an Instagram perspective, it looks like your life is just a bunch of fun. Is there any part of your life that isn't fun or does it, does it look like the party that it is? Um, It definitely doesn't look like, it's definitely not the party that, well, man, let me, <laughs> let, me, let, me let me be honest. I have a really dope life, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I I had to pinch myself a lot of times, man, because it's just like I'm 34. I don't feel a day old, older than you know 21. I mean, at most times, like those long nights definitely hit differently. <laughs> um, but I get to do a lot of dope stuff, man. And, and it's not it's not all party 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 like fun. A lot of the, the, the opportunities and the places that I'm in do have an element of work, you know, to it. So I may be Instagramming, you know, a, a dope restaurant or like some event or whatever, but it's probably because of work that I'm there. You know, I have my moments of fun, um, but it's a lot of responsibility and because I have so many clients, It I don't really get to turn it off, you know? So uh, it comes with a heavy a heavy price to pay in terms of like, you know, I'm single. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have kids, um, and I'm I'm hardly ever home before like we had shelter in place, you know, for quarantine or whatever. But that is a tough life to to to, to live. Um, so if you're styling somebody for an event, chances yeah. are you're at that event. Yeah, I got to be there, and that's the cool thing about the job. It's like I get to be a part of like some of the most major major moments of, of these guys' lives and. And because they have such a large platform, it's usually like super dope experience, you know? Um, again, going back to Andrew Wiggins, to just be in the room, you know, uh, the number future number one draft pick and like be behind the scenes of like what goes into all of that. Like I, I will, that's probably the most life-changing day he'll ever, he'll ever have, you know, besides the, the birth of his daughter and, when he gets married or, or if he wins a championship or something like that, but like to be there and to have that kind of a stake in those kind of environments, like no doubt if one of my clients goes to the finals and wins a championship, I'm probably going to be there. Like for sure going to be there on their wedding day. Uh, Like all these elements of life, you know, like if, you know, they're probably teaching their son how I taught them how to tie a tie. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's all of these. They're they're probably going to a restaurant, you know, in some cases to propose that I recommend it. You know, so it's uh it's so cool, like again, to just be ingrained in 
in these guys' lives and not from a fan perspective, man, because these guys really are my family. Like I feel like that personally. Uh, and I give so much to the job. Um, so I have a blast dude. Like I, I definitely have a blast, but people don't understand it. Like it's a beast mode mentality in terms of like what allows me to be able to relax for that five minutes and post it on Instagram. There's like five days of stress, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, so, uh, mm, be real. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I, I kind of like, I see the best in people, you know? <laughs> so you being nice, man. Yeah. I see the best in people. So I don't really know. Like I try to make, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm being as thoughtful as possible to people who really do matter. Um, and I'm pretty accessible. Um, to most so i don't feel that has been commonplace you know um and just maybe because it hasn't been revealed i don't know you know i I just see the best in people so i would try to always accommodate you know if i can um i've been asked for like tickets and things like that to games and i just think that's natural like it comes with Mm -hmm. it comes with the territory you know and Mm -hmm. if i can do it I will, but if I can't, I'm not the one who's like going like tell you yes and I can't, you know, do it. Or if it's going to cause me more stress to try to make it happen, I'm just going to be like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's like a no is a no. And if if, if, it, if you have an issue with it, then it's going to tell me more about you than it's going to say about me saying no. Oof, man, you said a mouthful there. That's true. Um, but yeah, man, you, you, look, you said it right. You got to where you are by treating people right. So now that you're here, you're not going to stop doing that. Um, so I appreciate that about you, man. Thanks for coming on the show, man. It's all love, family. I'm super proud of you, man. Proud of you, brother. Um, okay. Man, I'm like, I'm mad that we waited to see you out a podcast for us to actually like get on. I know. Thank you for listening to the Jumping Through Hoops podcast. We hope you heard something that will help you get better on your path to basketball and life success. You can help us get better by hitting the subscribe button and following us on social media. If you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you have any questions we can answer for you, email us at jthoopspod at gmail.com. Until next time, always get better.